You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning and Merry Christmas. How's everyone doing? Still good? Yeah? Right on. Uh, it's great to see you all here and those online. Uh, this morning, uh, obviously, we're going to be continuing our Advent sermon series, and we've been going through Isaiah 9, uh, studying the names that have been given to the promised Messiah. And we've already discussed the meaning and fulfillment of the names Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. And today, uh, we'll hopefully be encouraged as we study the significance of Jesus being referred to in this passage as the Everlasting Father. And so if you'd like to turn with me to Isaiah 9, we'll be reading through part of this passage, once again, starting at verse 2, just like we did last week, and going to verse 7. So we're just going to read through that, get some context, and talk about what it means that our Messiah is the Everlasting Father. Isaiah 9, 2 to 7 says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Well, according to a a study by uh, Cigna Group in 2019, it said three out of five American adults said they were struggling with loneliness and a lack of meaningful friendships. You could call this an epidemic in its own right, especially because loneliness has been proven to lead to other social and and mental health issues like depression, low self-worth, substance abuse, lack of sleep, et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on. And even more alarming, this stat of three out of five Americans includes everyone on the scale, from male to female, from those who are married to those who are single, and even from the elderly to young adults. I mention this specifically because as, as Pastor Blair remarked to me this week, the lie of loneliness is that you think you're the only one experiencing it while everyone else is hanging out with friends and spouses and having a good time and living the perfect life. That's the lie of loneliness that tells you you're the only one experiencing it, Uh, which is, as this research shows us, absolutely untrue. Um, I should also mention that this alarming stat was uncovered before the COVID pandemic, 
which means we can't specifically blame the government or restrictions for this issue. Of course, we can be certain that the, that the restrictions, whether you agree with them or not, definitely amplified this unmet and tragic societal issue. But the point remains, simply ending the pandemic isn't going to fix this, this, this problem. That's not going to be the solution. It's also surprising, or maybe not so surprising, that in a social media-run world, which claims that people are more connected than ever, the reality is that people are finding less connection than ever. I read an article this last week which said you can download an app which is called Rent-A-Friend, and then for $40 an hour, you can hire a random person to hang out with you and act like your friend. They'll go, they'll go for supper with you, go to a movie with you. This, this is a real thing. And, and I'm not judging those who've tried the service or, or ones like it, but, but my point is that the fact that a service like this exists shows us how desperate people are for even a semblance of social connection, right? In fact, according to another art article that I read, some people have just given up on humans altogether and have turned uh, to, to things like, like adopting pet rocks for emotional support and friendship. Pet rocks. A rock can't be your friend, right? Even if you, you know, paint a face on it, right? And this reminds me of what Psalm 115 writes about idols made of silver and gold. It says, it says in Psalm 115, they have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. So it's true that, that a rock, you know, it can't judge you or, or put you down. So that's nice. But it also can't give you advice or, or comfort you or encourage you or honestly and openly correct you and set you on the right path, right? And, and, and with a rock as your friend, you'll eventually, as Paul Simon sings, you'll become a rock and an island yourself. You'll become antisocial and, and just closed off from the world even more. So all these so-called solutions to loneliness, such as paying for a friend and, or adopting a pet rock or whatever else, they're only attempting to treat the symptoms, right? They do absolutely nothing to address the actual underlying issue, which is, first of all, that we all live in a fallen world which leads to a lot of issues like self-centeredness, individualism, things like that. Secondly, that humans don't just need social connections. We need community. We need community. We need deep, long-lasting, meaningful, dependable, and trustworthy relationships. Which is why I'd argue that one of the most uplifting and encouraging promises from God in the whole Bible is the one from Isaiah 9, which declares that the Messiah given to us will be called Everlasting Father. The implications of this name are, are many and obviously huge. We can't get into them all today. But one of the most important ones for us, especially in this isolating time that we're living in, is that it implies that the Messiah Jesus Christ came near to us in order to usher us into a deeply personal and familial relationship with both God and with other believers, a relationship status that will last forever. 
everlasting. So through him, we find that solution to loneliness. And, and what I mean is that this glorious, transcendent, holy God of heaven who's set apart from creation and exists outside of time actually wants us to relate to him intimately as children to a father and in the same vein as brothers and sisters to one another. Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6, says that God is a father to the fatherless, and he's a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. I love that. All these, these lonely people, right? You see God taking them all and bringing them together. He sets the lonely in families. This is the heart and desire and ability of God the Father and, and is what Jesus came to offer us in his death and resurrection. An, an intimate and paternal relationship, which, which is actually parallel to the relationship which Jesus himself, the Son of God, already has with him. So, so what that means, and, and this is crazy to think about, it's hard to, hard to grasp, but what this means is that he's in, inviting us into that eternal community of the triune God which existed before creation. He's inviting us to be part of that. That's incredible. And, and on a side note, we, we, don't, we don't often refer to Jesus as eternal father because we, we know him as primarily the son of God. Right, And so we don't want to confuse two of the three persons of the Trinity, and, and rightly so, as uh, theologian Charles Spurgeon writes. According to our common notions, of course, the Father must be before the Son, but we must understand that the terms used in Scripture to represent deity, like Father or Son, to us are not intended to be literally understood and rendered in their exact terrestrial sense, they are only so far descriptive as they may be, but do not compass the whole truth, for human language utterly fails to convey the very essence and fullness of celestial things. So I don't know if you understood that or not, but it's, it's just important to note that this verse isn't implying that Jesus is himself God the Father, but rather that as God's begotten Son, who is given to us, he's come to reveal him and bring him close. Though in the same sense, he's also come to be fatherly-like to us through his care and affection and devotion and compassion. Ultimately, he's the perfect expression of God's fatherly love as one who is himself of the Father. For Jesus said that he did nothing apart from the Father. And in John 14, 11, he says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And in John 14, 7, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so to know Jesus as Savior is, is to know God as Father. To know Jesus as Savior is to know God as Father. First John 4, 14 to 16 sums this up, and it says, and we have, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, then God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So to know Jesus as Savior is to know God as the Father, as Abba Father, right? As the affectionate and loving Father who dwells with us. Which is good news, because again, we're not meant to be alone on this, on this ball of earth, right? We're, we're meant to be in relationship with God. We're meant to be in community with God. And again, Jesus alone gives us that status through making a way for us, which is a sermon also for next week. But for now, just listen to a couple of these passages. Galatians 4, 4 to 5 says, But when the fulfillment of the time came, God sent his son, born through a woman and born under the law. This was so he could redeem those under the law so that we, this is the best part, so that we could be adopted. And then Ephesians 1, 4 to 5 says, In love he predestined us, predestined before the creation of the world, right? In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, which means heirs to the kingdom, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So, so whereas Adam and Eve fell out of God's presence due to sin, we, on the other hand, through the redemptive blood of Christ, are not only cleansed of our sin and justified before God, we're also securely and lovingly adopted as his own children, co-heirs with Christ to the kingdom of God, welcomed into the family with open arms. That's incredible. On, on being adopted by God, Timothy Keller writes, in Christ, therefore, believers are not only legally but personally established in God's fatherly love. In a remarkable passage, Jesus prays to the Father for his followers that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. To be adopted means that now God loves us as if we have done all Jesus had done. We have the most intimate and unbreakable relationship possible with the God of the universe. How awesome is that? I think we should re- realize then that every time we, we do refer to God or, or relate to him as father, we're doing so as his children on the basis of the blood of Christ. That every time we call God our father, we're proclaiming the reality of our salvation from sin and death. We're confirming our faith in Christ's atoning work as the justification for our sin and the sole mediator between us and God. Ultimately, to, to relate to God as our father is to realize and experience the glorious and wonderful effect of the kingdom come, of our redemption from the fall, of the reason that Jesus came to us on Christmas. We're proclaiming that because of and through him, God now sees us and cares for us as his adoptive children, as his own. Again, this is the best news ever. J.R. Packer writes, another theologian, late theologian, J.R. Packer, he says, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. It is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. The revelation to the believer that God is his father is, is in a sense the climax of the Bible, just as it was the final step in the revelatory process by which the Bible records. To those who are Christ's, the holy God is a loving father. It has now become his covenant name, for the covenant which binds him to his people now stands revealed as a family covenant, 
Christians are his children, his own sons and daughters, his heirs. They belong to his family. They may approach him without fear and always be sure of his fatherly concern and care. This is the heart of the New Testament message. For God intends the lives of believers to be a reflection and reproduction of Jesus' own fellowship with himself. That's a long quote, but I had to get it. I had to read it all. It's so good. I just love that last. For God intends the lives of believers to be a reflection and reproduction of Jesus' own fellowship with himself. We are children of God with that status of, of, of Christ. And what this means is that as children of God, that we now live under the care of and in the power of the Father's authority. Just as our children you know, represent our family name, we represent now the family name of God. And as such, we've been both renewed and empowered by his spirit to be represent, representatives and imitators of him in this world through, through loving God and obeying his commandments and loving others, right? And so that he would be glorified and so that the world can know him as well. Being a child of God also means that just as God loved his son, God now loves each of us with the same deep affection and care and compassion and provision. This also means that just as God honored Jesus into glory, we can be confident that as co-heirs to his kingdom, we'll also be raised up into glory with him. And being a child of God also means that we can have deep fellowship and communion with the Father. Jesus even invites us to, to come before him in prayer as what? Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven. And finally, what this also means is that just as Jesus was, was never left alone by him and did everything in him, we know that he'll also never leave us alone. He's always with us. Just as Jesus promised his disciples, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because the good news about this good news is that he's not only our father, he's the everlasting father. And this word, everlasting, it tells us a, a number of things about the promised Messiah. Number one, it speaks to his deity. John 1 tells us that the word who became flesh was with God from the beginning and was God and is God. We spoke about this last week when we talked about his name, Mighty God. But specifically for today, what this means is that Jesus has always existed with God, even before the foundation of the world, which is why he is begotten, not created, born of a woman, yet conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully man, but yet fully God. He's beyond time. He's everlasting. He was and is and is to come. So it speaks to his deity. Number two, it seems to imply that, that he is also preeminent as the father of eternity, right? because all things were created through him. Um, but I'll let the great theologian Charles Spurgeon again flesh this one out. He writes, Imagination cannot grasp this, for eternity is a thing beyond us. Yet, if eternity should seem to be a thing which can have no parent, be it remembered that Jesus is so surely and essentially eternal that he is here pictured as the source and father of eternity. Jesus is not the child of eternity, but the father of it. 
Eternity did not bring him forth from its mighty bowels, but he brought forth eternity, independent, self-sustained, uncreated, eternal existence is with Jesus our Lord and God. So that, that's a mouthful, but about this Colossians 1, 15 to 18, which we seem to keep coming back to week after week as we're going through these names of the Messiah from Isaiah 9, it says this, that he is the image, it says this about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, like eternity, and in him all things hold together, like eternity, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So in other words, Jesus is before, above, and beyond all time. He existed before creation, and he'll continue to exist after it. In fact, eternity was created through him and for him, and therefore he holds the power over it. And to be more specific... Only he alone, then, can offer eternity to us, which is the purpose he was given, which is why he atoned for our sins once and for all at the cross, so we could have everlasting life. Only one who is everlasting can promise and provide this, which leads us into the third point that I'm going to talk about today. This list is obviously not exhaustive. The name everlasting also implies that he never changes. He never changes. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, which is amazing. Like God the Father, who is the great I am, calls himself the great I am, right? Which means that he is always who he is and that he never varies or changes in his nature or his character. Jesus is also consistently the same. He's also always who he says he'll be, always faithful, always just, always true, always good, always compassionate, always loving, always trustworthy, and always accomplishing his perfect will. And this should be a comforting and solidifying truth for us as believers, that while everyone and, and everything else is, is, is prone to change or to change their mind, or even let us down once in a while. He never does. He remains the same. So all in all, with all this information, what, what does this mean for us? Well, primarily, and, and for today's message, this means that through Jesus, simply speaking, we've been given a Father forever. An eternal Father who will never leave us nor forsake us. An eternal Father who will always be there to care for us and to protect us and comfort us even in our sorrow. An eternal Father who will always run to us with grace and mercy whenever we go the way of the prodigal son. An eternal Father who will discipline and empower us to live out the eternal lives we've been created to live on earth and in heaven. And unlike many earthly parents, he's a father who is perfectly consistent and faithful, one who never wavers in his promises to us. 
So again, for, for all those who believe in, in the powerful and saving name of Jesus Christ, he's our eternal father. He's your father. And, and, and so this Christmas, in this Christmas season, even as we remember Jesus' virgin birth and how he himself was adopted into the care of his own earthly father, Joseph, let us not forget that, that, that this was the beginning of your own adoption process into the family of God. That with God as your father now, you are never alone. You are never alone, for he is Emmanuel, God with us, who's even poured out his spirit to dwell within you and assure you. And furthermore, I want to emphasize today that to be a child of God means, again, that we as believers are also now brothers and sisters to one another within that family. I don't, I don't think that we take that as, as seriously as, as we should, or as deeply as we should. At one point during Jesus' ministry, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he pointed to his disciples. Imagine him pointing just at each one, you know? He said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. That's so powerful. Here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's what he tells them. So simply put, all those who follow Jesus are adopted not only as children of God the Father, but into the family of God. If, if we look around the room here today, if we look around the room here today, don't look at me, look around the room. These, these are your siblings. Do we ever think of each other like that, as, as siblings? We should. They're, they're your eternal siblings, whether you like it or not. I didn't choose my sisters, right? But I love them anyways. These are your siblings, and for eternity. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, that means that you are never alone. You have God as your father, and you have the church as your family. And so about this, I just want to, I just want to quickly say a couple of things, or challenge, challenge us with a couple of things when it, when it comes to being part of this family of God. Number one, I need water first, though. Number one, if, if you are currently feeling alone, if you are currently feeling alone, please tell us. Please tell us. Don't keep it to yourself. We don't want you to keep it to yourself. Don't wait, don't wait for someone to, to notice that you're feeling alone because we don't have you know, x-ray vision or, and we can't read your mind and we can't see into your private life. You know? so, so please... Please let us know, let, or someone, let someone in the church know. Because there's absolutely no shame in letting us know. And as your family, you are important to us, regardless of what the lie of loneliness is speaking to you. That's incredibly important. And secondly, I want to encourage us as a church body to continue to grow in viewing and, and treating one another as family. And, and in the same way, I want to encourage each of you to commit to being the initiators in this. Don't, don't, be the, don't be the person that says, well, I'll wait till someone treats me as family, then I'll treat them as No, come on. That's not what, what being Christian is all about. Be the initiators in this. 
especially during this season. Be, be the example. Lead the way, right? Let's look out for each other. Let's, let's meet with one another. Let's feed one another. Let's study the word and pray together and worship together. Let's, let's support and love one another. Let's build one another up in Christ. And in the same way that God never leaves us nor forsakes us, let's also commit as the family of God to never leave or forsake one another either, to stand by each other's side through thick and thin. As we can read in 1 John 3, see what, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are, right? Stop there. That, that, that's what we've been talking about. That's so amazing. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for our family of God, right? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In conclusion then, this morning, Jesus came into creation to invite us and make a way for us by his grace and love to have an eternal relationship with God and a lasting family relationship with one another. To know Jesus as Savior is to know God together as our everlasting Father. Amen. Amen.